you got your Bibles, go to Philippians 2. We're looking at verses 6 through 11 tonight. And the, the, tonight's scripture is by far uh, one of the most essential ones uh, for, for Paul. Um, it kind of, it kind of uh, radiates a message that Paul had through the Corinthians that Jesus Christ, who was rich, for the sake of us became poor. And that's the essential message of this. And you have two realities playing out in the scripture. You have one reality that Jesus is fully man. The reality of his complete 100% humanity. The second reality is that Jesus is God. And that these two realities do not contradict. One does not overshadow the other, but they work in perfect harmony and union together without violating the other reality or the other nature. Wow. You're getting to the mysteries of God in this. And all this had to take place for our sake. For our sake. That Jesus Christ had to leave his home, the glories and pleasures and the perks and the royalties of heaven, lifted all behind and took on flesh because you and I could not do the perfect work. You and I could not do it. We fell short. We fell short in Adam. We were born short. So if you look at the scripture tonight, we can go and look at uh, these, these verses, and I'm going to go through some of the Greek meanings behind them because uh, the Greek language is a much richer language than, than the English uh, we have one word that, that kind of fits a lot of words. In the Greek, one word could have two or three words to mean one thing. And, and, and different levels of intellect and, and levels of how it intends to be applied to the, to the verse. So look at, let's look at Philippians 2, and let's look at uh, verse 5. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I love this because it says, let this mind be in you. Not be with you, be in you. It also says, let this, which means there's a choice. Let this mind be in you. you got to choose to walk in this. And this is not an intellect that you'd come about first, going through the levels of, uh, of challenging your brain and, and trying to, going through... Uh, schooling to, to advance your intellect on the knowledge of God. No, no, it, it says, look in the verse again, it says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. You cannot merit this mind. This is a mind that is of Christ only that is in you, but you have to choose to walk in that. So with that being said, let's look at these next set of verses. Verse 6, who being in the form of God. That word being means essentially always to never change. Right there, we have the Godhead of Jesus Christ. Right there. That Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, that being never changes, never wavers. Next word for the form, being in the form of God. This word form, Paul uses two words for the form here. The, fir- the first form means morphe, which means never changes. 
This form never, ever, ever changes. The second form is the word schema, which means can alter, but never away from the essential. Let me explain to you guys. For example, our humanity is our morphe. However, our schema is this. We were a baby. Then we were a child. Then we were a young adult. Then we became a man or a woman, and then a senior adult. Our morphe never changed from humanity. Our schema did. God never changed as God. Jesus Christ is a schema of God who is Morphe, God Almighty. Yes. He is a complete deity of God. At the same time, he is completely human. And these two natures work in perfect harmony and union together. Look at the next part of verse 6. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery. That word robbery means to, to snatch at or, 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 or to cling to. Jesus didn't have to snatch at this because he already had it. You only snatch, only snatch at Whitney. I already have Whitney. Jesus Christ did not snatch at this to be equal with God. He was already equal already. There's nothing to snatch at all. At, at all. Second way of looking at it is this way. You can look at the fact that, that, God, that Jesus, without jealous, let it go. Without jealousy, let it go. Fars to be equal with God. However you look at it, here's the reality of it. He's still the Godhead. He is still the deity. So how we look at it, you can look at it as, well, he didn't cling to it because he didn't have to cling to it, or he didn't cling to it because he let it go without jealousy. Whatever school of thought you want to look at, here's the essential truth, that Jesus is part of the Godhead. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Let's go on to verse 7. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. But God made him, but made himself of no reputation. I, I, I've spent hours on this word. Because you get to ask the question, what did Jesus empty to take on flesh, to walk this earth, to live a holy life, sinless and blameless, become the very entity of sin, and was crucified on a cross. He did not empty any of his attributes. He remained God the whole entire time. I want to offer a few suggestions of what he let go. He let go the glories. He let go of his will. You can go as far as to say that he even let go of his holiness, but still remained holy. What? Yeah. He let go of his holiness. You look at it. He had to live a holy life. He had to be able to go through, through, this, through this earth and be able to sin. Did not, but was able to. In the human nature, Jesus was able to sin, but never did. 
He had to walk this life and live, lead, and live a lead, a holy life in order for the cross to pay for the ultimate sacrifice, to pay our way. Look at it again. But made himself of no reputation. All the perks of heaven he left behind. The perks, the royalties, the exaltations, but never ceased to be being God. Taking the form of a bondservant. The word bondservant, he adds to the other part, to a bondservant and adds, the phrase, adds this phrase here. It says, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Angels are a servant in heaven, but he did not take the form of an angel. Aladdin had a genie. God did not come back in the form of a genie or some supernatural being. He came in the bondservant of a man, humbled himself to a man, not to a less deity, but to a man. I, I've got some things I want you to look at. I was thinking about how the ways that God humbled him, or Jesus humbled himself. Here are a few examples that I, I went, went down. He goes, for, for example, he, he took on the form of a man, not a more glorious creature like an angel. He humbled himself to be born in a manger. He humbled himself to be born into poverty. He was born into a despised people. The Jews were the most hated people. He could choose any race he wanted to. He chose the Jews. As far as humbling yourself, he humbled himself. Look at the situation. You had Mary and Joseph who were not married yet and went to that. He chose a, 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 a young girl who was a, was a virgin. Therefore, no man could claim the glory of taking a part in Jesus. It was God working in the very vessel of Mary. He came as a child instead of appearing as a man. He went through the pains of of potty training. Throwing up. Maybe fevers. Maybe accidents. Like Lorelai has accidents. I don't know. But he, of all the forms he could have taken, he took this form and went through the pain and awkwardness. Uh, I teach middle schoolers. They're awkward. Middle school is an awkward, awkward stage. Your shoes are too big for the guys. Like they got like 12s, and they're like four foot two. They got size 12 feet. <laughs> Jesus went through the awkwardness of childhood to young adult, teenage, adolescent, then, in, in, and then on to become a man. Uh, he learned and practiced a humble trade as a builder, as a carpenter. He humbled in waiting for 30 years. For 30 years. He waited for 30 years to begin his ministry. Look at his companions. Look at the disciples. He humbled himself there. <laughs> the people he chose to be around, to be with, the ones he chose to heal, the ones he stood in defense of. I mean, look, look at the, the, the adulteress and, and the prostitutes. Uh, he, stood, he stood in their way. He chose them as their company. Look at the next one. 
uh, he humbled any, the audience that he appealed to. He didn't, uh, he didn't attract the, the rich elite crowd. It was the humble, simple, lowest people of the crowds that he attracted. He was humble in obedience to the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he was humble to the law. He was humble to the Roman government. He was humble to the point of death. Not only just death, but to death on a cross. It's one thing to die. It's a whole different thing to die on a cross. For a Jew, the, 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 the cross was a point of, it was a, it was, that was a death for a cursed person. And that was the death that Jesus received. His death was not done on, on, the, on the back banks or, or some hidden remote area. It was done in public for all to see. To see his body stripped down naked, to beat to a bloody pulp, pulverized, face torn apart, his beard ripped out. How humiliating. How humbling. Oh, what must sin have been in the sight of God when it required such abasement in Jesus Christ to make an atonement for it and undo its influence and malignity? How bad God must have hated sin to do that to his own son. And God found pleasure in it because it was able a chance to bring back his creation, to bring it back into him. I got a quote from Spurgeon. He says this, The lower he stoops to save us, the higher we ought to lift him in our adoring reverence. Blessed be his name. He stoops and stoops and stoops, and when he reaches our level he, and becomes man, he still stoops and stoops and stoops lower and deeper yet. I love that quote. He hit humanity and then served us then served us selflessly, giving all the glory and praise in heaven. But it gets better. It gets better. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Because Jesus literally went through hell for you and for me, God on high exalted him to a highest place. You see, Jesus has the right to enter. And because we are in Jesus and he is in us, only by the incarnation of Jesus Christ and through the crucifixion of his body, are we able to enter in? It's his right. It's our privilege. By grace and grace only. Verse 9. Therefore God also has highly, not just exalted. The Greek says super, highly exalted him. I thought not just a little bit. I'm talking about super duper, extra looper duper exalted. That's not even a word, but I'm making it up. It's how high he was exalted on high. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. This name is Lord. 
The name is Yahweh, but in Greek, Yahweh goes into Lord when the Greeks translated it. The word Lord was used in several ways. For one, it was used for the Caesars of Rome. It was used for Roman and Greek gods. It meant over all, king of kings. And here comes name, Lord. Highly exalted, that means he is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. Therefore, yes, he became a man, but he is still God Almighty. And they do not violate each other. Never, no, never, no, never. I can explain how he did it. I just benefit from it. I can't tell you how Christ emptied himself or how he was able to veil himself because we see parts of Jesus in Scripture where we do see glimmers of, uh, of, his, of his Godhead as he walks on water, as he turns water into wine, brings the dead back to life. So we see elements of the supernatural. But at the same time, he wept. He was bruised. He could bleed and he could die. And the dying does not make him less of make him less God. Never violates the other one. I don't know how he did it. You're looking at verses that just baffle theologians from still baffling me. But I know, but I know I stand in him complete. I know I stand in him righteous, set apart, vindicated because of what he has done through the process of becoming a man and working in my place where I could not work. Last verse. That name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And my favorite verse of all, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The whole entire course of the scriptures, he never lost his deity. Never, never has, never will. He took on flesh. It became part of him. And when Jesus took on flesh, he was forever altered by that. You can explain that because today, as Jesus is now sitting in glory, he still bears the nail-scarred hands of his human nature. It altered him. It altered you. It altered me. We are different because of him. And he is different because of us. Our DNA is now in his DNA and vice versa. We are intermarried. And that's why we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, with heads held high. And take part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, by his wounds we are healed. We sing a song tonight that really, I think, encompasses the whole entire thought of tonight. Jesus did not come all-powerful and pointing fingers and say, sing to me, praise me, exalt me. No, 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 no. What draws us to Christ is the fact that he is God Almighty and he lowered himself. 
It's the cross that compels us. Not his pointing finger and his whore than thou. It's the unconditional love of the, cro- of the cross. Look at this. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small. It says love so amazing. Not power, not force. Love so amazing, so divine. And that demands my soul. It demands my life. It demands my all. Oh, the wondrous cross. Bids me to come and die and see that I might truly live. Oh, the wonderful cross. All who gather here by grace draw near and bless his holy name, the highest name of all, Lord of lords and King of kings.